to NeuroPodcases, a neuroscience podcast created for medical students. To get the most out of this episode, we recommend downloading the supplementary case notes which are available on Vital. Here you'll find more information about the case, including history, examination and investigation findings. We hope you enjoy listening. Neurology registrars working at the Walton Centre, and I'm here today with Dr. Davies, consultant neurologist. Hi there. We're going to talk through a case today. Uh, so, Dr. Davies, we've got a 68 year old lady who's been referred to the neurology clinic. Uh-huh. Uh, she's a retired teacher and she has a history of COPD and type 2 diabetes that's okay. just diet controlled. Hmm. But the reason she's been referred to, to us is that three months ago she noticed she was having trouble walking. Um, she felt like her left foot was slapping on the floor and the GP in the referrals says that she has a foot drop. Um, so a foot drop is something that does come up, we do come across in neurology. Mm. How would you approach this history from uh, the referral? Okay. Uh, and, it's, uh, and, it's, and it came on suddenly and it stayed about the same? Yes. Okay. All right. I asked the wrong first question there. I, I, I suppose I should, I should ask the where question before I ask the, the when question. Uh, but, you know, the, the where question has the same range of possible answers as it always does in neurology, at least the neurology of the, the motor system. So, you know, you, you could have a brain lesion and if you're talking about motor functions, the, the implication is that it's it's in the contralateral hemisphere. And if it's the foot, it's actually the mesial part of the motor strip uh, that, that corresponds to the foot. And then, of course, you've got the fibres uh, going down uh, through the hemisphere, through the anterior part of the midbrain, the pons, the anterior part of the medulla, where it forms a pointy bit that has a pyramid shape and that's why this tract is sometimes called the pyramidal tract and that's where it crosses and then the corticospinal tract is in the uh, ipsilateral, ipsilateral to the foot as it were, side of the spinal cord goes down to the myotomal level. So the myotomal level here uh, corresponding to foot dorsiflexion would mainly be the L5 myotome, so, so that bit of uh, the, the sort of caudal end of the spinal cord, and then the roots come out uh, from, the, uh, from the, the spinal cord. Now these are the axons of the lower motor neurons, um, and these roots in, are included in the corda equina, uh, and then after reaching the L5 interspace, uh, the, the route passes through the exit foramen. It then contributes to the lumbosacral plexus. And then uh, we're in the sciatic nerve and in the fascicle of the sciatic nerve that corresponds to the common perineal nerve. Uh, and uh, the common perineal nerve then passes uh, to the side of the knee uh, and then supplies the anterior tibial muscle uh, and uh, so that's the that's the mechanism that's the that's the neuroanatomy of the mechanism of lifting your foot up so my approach is to think about a possible lesion 
at any site. So in theory, you could get loss of foot dorsiflexion from a stroke or a cortical lesion. Okay. And actually, dorsiflexion is weaker in a corticospinal tract syndrome than uh, plantar flexion. But uh, to have just a foot drop as a result of a, a brain lesion is pretty unlikely. In reality, you're talking about two focal lesion sites here that need to be considered more than the others. And the two sites are the root as it passes uh, in the spinal column and out of the foramen. So, so the root there might get pinched. Yeah. Um, so that's the L5 root. And the other bit is the nerve. And the nerve is um, going to be most vulnerable where it passes by the head of the fibula, just lateral to the, to the knee. Uh, and the nerve at that point is the common perineal nerve being, being one of the distal branches of the sciatic nerve. So, so my key uh, thought here is to be aware of the anatomy in general, but to be aware that my two high-yield neuroanatomical queries in my mind are, could this be a common perineal nerve lesion or could this be an L5 root lesion? Okay, so, so when she comes in, she's systemically well and com confirms the history as the GP gave it, really. Mm -hmm. There wasn't, wasn't much else going on, mm -hmm. uh, but you get a chance to examine her. Mm -hmm. um, the lady's cranial nerves and upper limb examination were completely normal. And in the lower limb, her right leg was also completely normal in, in all the modalities assessed. In her left leg, the one that was suffering the foot drop, she does have loss of dorsiflexion and she also has loss of eversion. Mm -hmm. So in terms of sensation, she's not too impaired, but she does um, have some patchy loss uh, across the lateral part of the leg and foot and the dorsum of the foot as well. Um, okay. And her reflexes are intact. Okay. So based, uh, as you mentioned, looking at the corticospinal tract hmm. and now with this new information about the examination, is there any diagnosis she thinks most likely and is there any cause for this problem yeah. that tends to crop up commonly? Okay. So, uh, conveniently, I mean, I guess we're neuropod cases here. So, uh, you know, what you've told me there continues the focus on those two focal lesions. So I'm not so worried about the less likely locations for a focal lesion. Um, I'm also not worried about diffuse conditions. Um, so non focal pathology and I guess the two really important ones of those to, to bear in mind for, for very different reasons are uh, firstly this is kind of mainly a motor syndrome and this is a, a person in late midlife shall we say and, and we need not to ignore the possibility of motor neurone disease uh, and on the other side especially in a person who has diabetes uh, we need to think about a polyneuropathy um, for diabetic in particular type of polyneuropathy to present with foot drop is unusual and the presence of the reflex still makes that very unlikely. So reverting 
to the two focal lesions under consideration, an L5 root lesion and a common perineal lesion, um, the combination there of impaired dorsiflexion and impaired eversion would actually localise to the nerve, so to the common perineal nerve. Um, so the branches of the common perineal nerve are uh, to tibialis anterior, which is strangely anterior to the tibia, and so it lifts your foot up, and also to the perineal muscles on the lateral aspect of your leg, and of course those are the ones that pull your foot sideways, that is they avert the foot, okay, and there is a sensory branch as well. Uh, so uh, without going into unnecessary detail, the fact that you've described uh, impaired dorsiflexion and diversion makes it very likely that this is a nerve problem, whereas if it were a, a combination of impaired dorsiflexion and impaired inversion, that would tend to point more to an L5 lesion. Somewhat interesting point, maybe, is that in principle you will have a preserved ankle reflex both in a common perineal lesion and in an L5 root lesion because the supply of the ankle jerk is the posterior tibial branch of the sciatic nerve, so the other branch of the sciatic nerve, and the root supply is the S1 root. Okay, so so in, in theory, whether it's a root lesion or a nerve lesion causing unilateral foot drop, um, you should be able to elicit the ankle jerk. Um, of course, there are always exceptions, so you could have a, a lesion more proximally in the sciatic nerve or the plexus. Uh, you could have disc disease that prangs both the L5 root and the S1 root, which isn't so far away. Um, so both those scenarios are possible, uh, but, but the classical uh, clinical syndrome is that the ankle jerk should be preserved. So I think what you've told us here is that this is a common perineal uh, lesion, a mononeuropathy, and this is one of the relatively common mononeuropathies, you know, there's a, there's a few nerves that can be pranged because of their position in the body. Um, the, the carpal tunnel is a, is a, is a, um, is a small restricted place and, and the median nerve in the carpal tunnel can be pinched. The ulnar nerve of course passes, uh, on the inside of your elbow and it can be injured there. The facial nerve passes through a very narrow facial canal to get out of the skull so it can be uh, pinched if it swells for any reason to cause Bell's palsy. And then, you know, uh, the fourth, um, I would say, is the common perineal nerve just exposed lateral to the knee. Um, sometimes people notice trauma to it, sometimes um, people have trauma to the common perineal nerve as a result of positioning in the operating theatre. People can kneel down in an awkward way. Uh, people obviously can have more substantial trauma that injures that nerve. But people don't always remember the trauma. 
Mm. Um, and uh, but but it seems very likely that the nerve has been contused in some way. What we don't know, of course, is whether the lesion is a, a neuropraxia, uh, a neuropmesis, or an axonotmesis. Wow. So there's three subtypes of peripheral nerve lesion. Okay. Okay. So a neuropraxia is that the nerve just doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the nerve might have some bruising and and the continuity of the axons and the nerve more generally is preserved. Okay. Um, so it's pretty unlikely that this is a, a neuropraxia injury uh, this many weeks down the line. Then if you have a sufficient injury to the nerve that the axons lose their continuity, that's an axonotmesis lesion. Then if you sever the nerve entirely, then that's a neurotmesis. And of course, the recovery from a neurotmesis lesion is very low. But by the way, um, the tomesis bit is the same as, as the, the, the tom in in a tomogram or a, or a, or a tomograph, so it's a cut, mm. cut a slice, scanning through the body in the case of a of a computerized tomography, uh, or a cut through an axon axonotmesis, uh, or a cut through the whole nerve. So the clear thing prognostically at this point is, has this lady just damaged her axons, mm. so that the uh, proximal part of the axon will regrow generally very slowly, perhaps a millimetre a day, mm-hmm. to get better over the coming weeks and months or is this uh, a, a severed nerve which will never regain function if she hasn't had trauma that was noticed of course a, a, a severing of the nerve is is a bit less likely, thankfully Okay, so, so clinically we're pretty happy with the diagnosis. Is there, are there any so. investigations you'd do, or anything that could be useful? So, uh, in the absence of pain, it's rather unlikely to be uh, the most important medical uh, cause of a mononeuropathy. So, the first presentation of a of a severe vasculitic peripheral neuropathy. And at this age, uh, it's unlikely to be uh, a genetic vulnerability of the nerve. Um, There is a condition called hereditary liability to pressure palsy. But the first presentation in the late 60s, I think, is unlikely to be that. Um, So if she's clinically stable, then I think it's not imperative to do any investigations at this point. A useful thing could be to do nerve conduction studies, and that could clarify the anatomy. Um, So the EMG part and the nerve conduction study part of the test could could be helpful to confirm our clinical assessment that this is a peripheral nerve rather than a root lesion. The other thing that it might do is, if it were done after a delay, it might tell us whether there was any continuity within the nerve and the likelihood of further recovery. So that can be helpful prognostically. But to be honest, in practice, the most useful type of test or assessment here 
is probably a, a, an assessment by a physiotherapist with a view to rehabilitation or a, a, an um, uh, orthotist uh, with a view to supplying uh, a splint to help the patient uh, walk more normally without the foot flapping down. If you enjoyed listening to this episode, look out for more podcast episodes coming out shortly.